You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, show, shoe, it's part two of the shoe of the roster review. We're going to look at the defense, including how one roster evaluator says on paper, this is the top defense in the NFL. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about opening day in baseball and my golf game, which I know you guys are all here for. From the Baptist Health Studios, check that. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. A little bit of a rocky start there, but, you know, give your boy a break. I'm recording this uh, on a Thursday here, March the 30th, ahead of opening day in baseball and ahead of when this podcast drops on a Friday. And two things I want to discuss real quick is the opening day in baseball and just how fired up I am this year. I tweeted about it on Thursday morning that the Mariners have a player who... I was born in 1987, and Ken Griffey Jr. made his debut in 1989, and I got to grow up with that. Every night on Fox Sports Northwest, Ken Griffey Jr., 7, 10 p.m. in my living room, me doing the wiggle every single night. It's how I fell in love with baseball. It's kind of how I modeled my swing after, and it's kind of how my baseball swing led to what is now my golf swing, which we'll talk about here in just one second. But I think it's really cool that my kids now, or, or all Mariners fans of a certain age, got to watch Ken Griffey Jr. for their entire childhood, now get the benefit of watching Julio Rodriguez. And in that tweet, I put out... Uh, from the Players' Tribune, a story that Julio wrote. He also was featured in GQ. He's also the Sports Illustrated cover athlete for the season preview this year. Everyone expects this guy to be a multiple-time MVP, and he just has the charisma and superstar traits that you look for across the board in, in a ball player. I think it's super cool that my kids get to grow up watching that guy, and I'm so fired up, man. He's going to hit like probably 35 home runs this year, probably still 50 bases, probably going to have an OPS around 1,000, probably going to win a gold glove. He is special and I cannot wait. Speaking of special, your boy in the golf course. I'm just kidding. Uh, I do have a round tonight that I'm very excited to go play. Um, I have mentioned it several times that I am in fact on leave right now. Uh, Cameron was nice enough to fall asleep for a little bit for me to record this podcast and get it in. But my wife feels bad for me because Cameron just kind of cries all day and I've been getting my ass kicked all day by this kid. So she said, go ahead and get out of here for a few hours tonight and go play golf. I'm going to go play the Grand Palms in uh, Pembroke Pines. Uh, I'm just curious, has anybody ever really started golf at age 35 and made the PGA Tour? Because I feel like that's kind of where I'm going. That's a joke. But um, I mentioned that natural baseball swing, and man, I, I feel it. And I'm, I'm, I'm consistently getting the driver about 280 off the tee, most of the time straight. Sometimes I got a bit of a snap hook that eh, just turns a little bit left more than I want it to. Um, hitting the greens in regulation is a, a 50-50 proposition. You never know what's going to happen, but I, I feel like I'm putting myself in position on most holes to hit from about 80 to 120 
and I'm just not getting the ball close enough to the pin. Putting is very up and down as well, so uh, I feel close. I, I feel like I'm close to becoming someone that just began golf who was consistently in the 100s, and I, I feel like getting a 8 as the first number on my card is very close. In fact, I shot a 90 the other day, and I think even beyond that, I feel like I'm not far away, maybe a couple years, from potentially being able to get under double digits in terms of being over par, like plus nine. I think it's very possible for your boy in the near future, but I want to play as much golf as I can this summer. Uh, so like I said, if you're trying to get out there, let me know. Let's go play some golf. Let's talk some football, shall we? Wednesday, we did the offensive side of the ball, and now we turn our attention to the defense. And frankly, I think you could argue which side of the ball looks better on paper for your Miami Dolphins. And that certainly makes for a fun training camp, doesn't it? I do matchup of the day, matchup, matchup, matchup of the day every single day on the uh, 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 training camp practice podcast reviews or recaps. And like, you know, in the past, I had to try to manufacture Shaq Lawson versus Austin Jackson, a couple players that were certainly fun to watch. But now I got like Jalen Ramsey versus Jalen Waddell. I got Tyreek Hill versus Xavier Howard. I've got Teron Armstead versus Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips. Like, Whoo, buddy, there are matchups up and down the board that I cannot wait to get into. And before we look at our first position group, this podcast will not be as long as the Thursday behemoth or Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday behemoth. Um, it probably will because I'm talking about baseball and golf now, but a lot. I, I think I had 4,000 words for that one. I got about 2,500 for this one. But before we get into that, uh, there's a guy at ESPN. He's a fantasy football expert, which I don't think translates to actual football. Um, and I've actually gotten into debates with this guy on Twitter in the past. Uh, you know, I have a hard time valuing an opinion from someone that doesn't like, you know, the great, so the great Mike McDaniel interview with Mike Silver. How great was that, by the way? The, the process of talking about how we don't just have this quarterback in Tua, like Mike, with that film session he talked about in that story, we're going to build the entire program around Tua's strengths because I believe he's that good. How freaking cool was that? But when you had to explain to him what a field side out route was, <laughs> Oh, man. I just, I can't understand, like, doing this profession and not knowing the very basics. It's, it's very weird to me. That's how I feel about this particular uh, pundit. But each year, he does his positional grading chart and puts a heavier emphasis on certain positions, like we talked about last episode, with more premium spots. But he has the Dolphins as 13th offensively. The hell are you talking about? So already kind of discrediting my own uh, source here. But defensively, number one, he has Miami. And that, that lands the Dolphins as the number three overall roster behind just Philly and Dallas. And to give you an idea of the rest of the teams in the top 10, they are the Bengals, Bills, Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, Browns, and Jets. This is under the assumption the Jets get Aaron Rodgers. Teams three through 10 in the AFC is brutal, but it's got Miami better than the Bengals and Bills. Those are two teams I think most folks will pick uh, to compete with the Chiefs this year, who are even lower, for potential AFC uh, supremacy in a trip to the Super Bowl. Let's go ahead and get to the defense, though. And as you look at this roster, you can see, you know, Mike Clay's point. Each group has starters, and I use air quotes around that, who are really premier type of players. And I use the term starter loosely because starter just doesn't mean the most snaps. It, it, in the era of specialization and sub packages, there just isn't as much emphasis on that phrase anymore. And a prime example of that is our first position group here on the interior defensive line. You get... I guess a, a mix of starters and guys that contribute in different packages and the game can dictate how many snaps they play based upon 
Is it a guy that comes in for pass rush? Are you behind early? Like the Detroit game last year, when Miami fell behind by 14 points and didn't recapture lead until the fourth quarter, it's a passing game, or I should say a running game early on in that one. And then late when they get the football back down, it becomes more of a passing game, right? But you have this front for the Dolphins where we talk about starters versus sub packages. This group is so versatile and so flexible if you're in an even front, you could have like Christian, Zach, and then like Emmanuel Ogba and Jalen Phillips as your four down. But you go odd front, in comes Raekwon Davis, out goes Emmanuel or whoever. But you get the idea of how this group and the depth this position group has can make this defense really go this year. As we you know, assumed going into the offseason, you might see a bit of a shift from focus of building back to front to more front to back because Vic Fangio's defense, we know the principles of it, play lighter boxes, play a lot of too high structures. There's lots of disguise that requires smart, quick processing really across the defense, but primarily in that defensive backfield. And that's where, you know, Javon Holland and Brandon Jones, to me, stand to make a big jump. And that's why you go out and get a David Long, who was one of the best processing linebackers, in my opinion, in the entire National Football League. We break this thing down in terms of the front on interior defensive line and edge. And so let's just go ahead and talk about the interior. To me, a blue player in Christian Wilkins, one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL, should have been a pro bowler last year. If he had just been listed defensive tackle, he probably would have gone. Uh, Zach Sealer, to me, is a plus starter, the green category, the 75% criteria. If you didn't catch those from... If you don't know what that means, go back to Wednesday's episode. We ex- we explained that pretty in-depth on the offense. Raekwon Davis, I have as a gold... Uh, uh, replacement level and then Josiah Bronson and Jalen Twyman two players looking to, to make their way in the league uh, as guys on the practice squad or futures contracts but Wilkins has been on this type of trajectory that you want from a player truly gets better every single year uh, arrived as a premier player last season I think he was in 2021 as well but last year pretty much undeniable I think what you have here is coach Clark's group is a pair of really dominant multifaceted players who are so well-versed in their craft that they are both capable of cheating the scheme a little bit. And what I mean by that is they can play within the rules of their job, but they're so smart and talented that they can go outside the scheme a little bit and take themselves into great plays. And we saw that with Christian Wilkins really frequently. I'm talking, of course, about he and Zach Sealer. And that's the benefit of having those two guys be so durable, so dependable, and be in some of the best condition on your entire football team. I'm, I, I'm amazed every single week when I pull up the snaps on a Monday morning and it says Christian Wilkins played, you know, 65 snaps. That was 90% of the workload. And Zach Sealer played 63 snaps. Like, it's cr- that's a crazy amount of basically going through a full workout every snap between, you know, your arms and your shoulders and your core and your legs and how you engage every muscle on every single snap. It's a testament to their conditioning. And to me, it's built around those two guys who can cheat the scheme, who are smart enough to anticipate and understand what their keys say and what it, where it takes them in a given play. If this guard down blocks the center, I know I can shoot that gap and get in there and possibly you know, shut down a frontside run or pursue a backside run because I know we're going to set a strong edge on the opposite side. We saw Wilkins do this time and time again, backdoor a two-gap responsibility and get the running back to the ground for a loss. He's just so technically sound. And if you watch the way he plays, he just keys off the guy in front of him. It's it's so cool to watch him process the play from, from pre-snap to when he makes the play in the backfield. Like his head's on the tackle, his eyes on the tackle or the guard, and he makes his reactions based upon that. It allows him to hold the point 
or penetrate and just consistently be underneath his man, which leads to stops in the backfield. It leads to record-setting tackle numbers. It leads to interior pressure from the pass rush situation. It leads to a great complete player who I'd be surprised if we see go into the season without a new contract for Christian Wilkins. Both he and Zach Sealer are capable of playing all the way inside the one technique, which is your outside shade off the center's shoulders, all the way out to that wide position at the five technique where you're off the outside shoulder of the tackle. And that type of versatility is so damn important to know that you can draw up any front, any technique, and you're going to have these two guys like you don't have to worry about scheming up the system for your players. Like, hey, we're going to draw us up. 94 and 92 have got it. They're fine. They're going to play 50, 60 snaps a game. Invaluable. With Sealer, to me, it's the strength and length. The fourth down and short production from Sealer describes his game in a nutshell to me. The power that he plays with often puts guys in their heels, and it doesn't just lead to production. It can disrupt the timing of the opposition's play to the point that it impacts other people from doing their job. Like, I took this guard and ran him back into the up-back, and now he can't go make his block. It's It has a ripple effect, as this position group tends to do. Raekwon Davis is solid. I, I think there could be more plays made at that position off the nose, but it's a thankless job, and he does a good job of eating up double teams. Sometimes they do get movement on him, but that wingspan and sheer size, when it clicks for him, it really shows up on those plays, but uh, more consistency and more playmaking there would be nice at that nose tackle position. I think Raekwon's capable of that. And then Bronson and Twyman can push for roles, but you, you kind of see where there's a route here to add more players, more depth. I thought last year they missed the presence of Adam Butler, Finding a guy like that, I think a, a veteran nose tackle would be a big addition for this Dolphins defense if they can find it. You know, I, I don't know if Akeem Hicks is, is a guy that I keep thinking of that if he's got more in the tank could be a good addition here. I'm still bummed about Ben Stilley getting plucked off the practice squad. Thought he had some good skills to work with and develop, but sometimes that happens. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there. Come back on the other side and talk about the edge, the linebackers, the DBs, and the specialist. I guess the podcast is going to go long today. That's next to Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield. Brought to you by AutoNation. If we think that interior defensive line position, gosh, the edge, if that's impressive, this edge group is, to me, one of the best position groups, not just on the football team, but in the entire National Football League. Because I have one blue player, a blue chip top of the line caliber player to me, that's Jalen Phillips. I think the next two guys have been in that blue category as recently as one or two years ago. Uh, Bradley Chubb and Emmanuel Ogba to me are in the green category, the plus starters. And then I've got, I've got, um, above average players as well. And Malik Reed and Andrew Van Ginkle in my orange category, my third and, and one of the three categories that if you've got that guy, you're happy you have him and you, you feel good about their role on the football team. And then Cameron Good goes in the incomplete category. Hasn't made his NFL debut yet, but he has some traits to develop there. But this position group, it's an embarrassment of riches. Phillips enjoyed that breakout year where he was good for several pressures a game, a couple of run stops every game, give him a sack every other game, a hit on the quarterback or two per game, some ball production here and there. We talk about Wilkins and Sealers inside-outside versatility. There are not many guys in the league that do what Jalen Phillips does from a pass rush and run game perspective that can then also kind of, or not kind of, but kick inside and produce and just impact the game from in there as well. And it's, again, more of a thankless job to rush a guard. He can get production from there, but typically when he kicks in there, it's to free up another edge outside of him. And if we do get this roster with Phillips, Chubb, and Ogba, I think you're going to see a lot of that. Like these pass rush packages with those three guys, put, and put Malik Reed out there, like... 
come on, man. How are you going to block that stuff? But the fact that Phillips can threaten the edge, force the quarterback to flee to the other side of the field, and then chase him down from the back, a la Aaron Rodgers. We saw it with Kenny Pickett. There was another game he did, and I forget which one it was. But to do that, and then one snap later, kick inside to the three technique, which is the outside shoulder of the guard, and rush and get knockback and create a lane against a 320-pound man to open up space for somebody else, this dude's rare. Now, we saw his pro day workout at Miami back when there was no combine that year, paired with the Brett Coleman video where he compared him to both the Watt brothers. Like, watch out. This guy is a, I think this guy's defensive player of the year candidate material in terms of his ability, the way he works and the way he puts it all together. It just has his head screwed on the right way. He's freaking Walter Payton man of the year nominee, won the Ed, or not the Ed Block Award, the, uh, the Nat Moore Community Service Award his rookie season. Special, special player. His hustle and effort paired with rare, rare traits like the burst, the pass rush arsenal, the mental processing where he can attack an opponent one way, see the way the opponent refutes that attack, and then adjust his game. His pass rush production last year by the metrics say that he could have had a lot more sacks. And now with Ramsey joining X and Cater, you get Brandon Jones back. Vic Fangio opposing quarterbacks should have to hold the ball for a little bit longer. And if that happens and JP stays in the same trajectory we saw last year, I think he's going to get double digit sacks. I think he's going to threaten for a sack per game, talking about 17 sacks. I think he'll be in the discussion for defensive player of the year. I think very highly of this team. I think very highly of this defense. And this is a player that I think could get national recognition for a potentially big award like that. And that's just the first guy because next you've got Bradley Chubb, who was the first I think Defender taken off the board in that loaded 2018 class. How did that one go? It went Darnold, or rather, uh, I'm sorry, Mayfield. Um, who went second? Who went second after May? Oh, Saquon Barkley, and then Darnold, and then Denzel Ward was fourth. So he was the second Defender off the board. There's some live podcasting for you. But he's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. His speed and counter moves put tackles on an island in such peril. And if you want to double Phillips, like Bradley Chubb one-on-one is not a fun matchup. Frankly, having these two guys together is going to force offenses on every single play to leave a premier pass rusher one-on-one. And that's not even counting for what happens inside on the interior. And if you go deeper, how about a guy who had 18 sacks in two fully healthy seasons here in Emmanuel Ogba went down with a triceps injury last year, but he's been the closer for this team for a while now, like any end of game situation, like go to the Buffalo win last year, week number three, it was his pass rush that caused the hold that really put Buffalo in that position where they got tackled in bounds. The clock expires dolphins win. He's also one of the better run defending edges in the NFL. I think where this group could get a little better is, and I saw it with Chubb a lot last year, they jump inside sometimes, and that kind of is something you give and take with pass rush. I'm curious to see how much that rush lane integrity is part of this defense and, and the core principle of this defense. I think it will be, but I wonder how much you might be willing to give up in terms of, and maybe I give up my gap here to get better pass rush production. I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating, but we'll see. Curious to see if that changes this year because there was too many instances last year where the edge was kind of folded in and there were some big runs off the outside. But wait, man, like there's more. We broke down Malik uh, Reed's game last week and man, he can get after it. Speed, eye discipline, counter moves, drop into coverage. Really nice guy too, by the way. I had a chance to meet him. Like 
please and thank you type of guy, which goes along with me, especially being a West Coaster on the East Coast, where it's not that common, I learned over my time here. Uh, you get Andrew Van Ginkle back, his spatial awareness and ability to take advantage of matchups when the opposition slides. His ability to beat blocks, I thought, has gotten so much better from his time in Wisconsin, where he can play through guys and not just have to get under blocks. Uh, three down player, actually four down player, because he's great on special teams as well. What a value, valuable addition, or I should say re-signing, Andrew Van Ginkle was. Deepest group on the team. I would argue one of the deepest position groups in the NFL. You've even got a nice developmental prospect there in Cameron Good coming into year two after a year on the practice squad. And when you work with Austin Clark and uh, what he does up front, I wouldn't count anybody out with that type of uh, backing in their corner. Let's go ahead and move on next to the linebackers. I talked about it at length on the breakdown pod. I just cannot say enough what I think about David Long Jr. in this defense. I think in this defense, you have to have a linebacker who can react and beat players to the spot. I think you have to have a guy that can beat blocks because of the frequency with which you see the two high structures with the light boxes against favorable run counts. Teams in the NFL nowadays, and this is basically Fangio putting his mark on the entire league, teams are willing to give up a little bit in terms of the running game to better protect against the passing game, which, you know, four yards per carry is a good number. Eight yards per pass is a good number. So which one would you choose? Give me the four yards every time. I'll take a third and two over a first and 10 any day uh, after two plays on offense. But David Long Jr.'s ability to both anticipate, get the defense put in the right position, and beat blocks makes him the ideal linebacker to fulfill that defense on top of the fact that he can rush and drop into coverage as well. So with Long and Baker, you've got two, three down players who have speed, pass rush ability, and coverage skills. Now, I, I think Long is better in terms of all those things we just talked about more naturally. I think Baker's speed takes him to a lot of plays in that regard, but that's why I have David Long Jr. as a green player, a plus starter, and I think that with some more recognition and some more exposure could become a blue player, but we'll have to wait a little bit on that. I've got Jerome Baker as an orange player, that third category, the, the uh, quality starter, and then I've got Duke Riley as replacement level, but also such an ace on special teams. And then the the final linebacker in the room, which probably could see some additions here in, in the draft and in, in UDFA class, is Channing Tindall, who's purple, the uh, special team slash not there's not enough evidence there yet for what he can do, but that's that's a big upgrade of what we've had in the past. Typically, it's been replacement level players pretty much from you know two on in that room, and now you've got you know an adequate starter, a plus starter, and and some replacement level players beyond that. So the two guys that can do multiple things. There's just so much more speed in this room now, and you don't have a single player here who, when the offense breaks the huddle, they say, "Hey, this guy is great at this." But what if we can check to something else and do that against him and expose his vulnerability? Because I think they're all so versatile and can, can can fulfill a variety of roles within a defensive package. You don't have a guy out there who's just a B-gap to B-gap plodding run defender who the Bills on a fourth and two down and around the goal line can check to a run and say, hey, if we get Singletary on that linebacker, boom, touchdown for us. Like That's not going to happen because they can cover those guys. I mean, it will happen sometimes because football is hard. But you get what I'm saying. It's a better opportunity for the defense to make a play when you don't have that guy on the field. With Long, the way he beats blocks is really going to help in the way you try to defend that run from those lighter boxes. And it's so prevalent for these teams to play that light box, the Vic Fangio effect. And he pioneered that type of defense and philosophies have spread throughout the entire National Football League. The teams that are best at it have linebackers who can take on blocks and still make plays. Not to mention that you've got the guys up front, we just talked about 92 and 94, that also do that, as well as any defensive lineman in the National Football League. 
I just think Long opens up so much. We know about Baker's speed and the angles that he can take to the quarterbacks as a rusher. I think maybe he gets more of a rushing role this season in this defense. And how about how he runs with tight ends and backs. Like, again, I don't think it's anything special, but he can get in phase and he can just run through the route. And as long as it's not a comeback where they come back through the player to the football where he gets flagged, he can make pass breakups that way. It just gives you multiple options for how to attack different teams. And I think that Duke Riley was a big re-signing because of his ability to slide down off the edge against a running quarterback like Lamar Jackson, but also come back inside and come off the bench and, and play coverage in a pinch. His pass breakup against the Pats in week one was one of the most impressive reps we had by a linebacker all year for my money, where it's a, a Tampa 2 look, and he has to bust his butt down the seam. on It was either Hunter Henry or Jonu Smith, and he made a great PBU on that play. He's got that type of ability. Then Channing Tindall, he might be the most talented player in the entire group, which is saying a lot. Just hasn't played a lot of football yet. I'm curious if the light comes on for him this year, maybe next year because of the new defense and how challenging this defensive scheme is to pick up. But he's so explosive, such a striker, and so fluid moving in any direction. Man, I'm excited about this group in 2023. I don't think they'll be done yet because I think you need more than four linebackers uh, to go into a season with. Let's go ahead and take our last break. Come back on the other side, do DBs and the specialists. That's next. Draft Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Up next, the cornerbacks, the safeties, and the specialists. Let's go ahead and start in that cornerback room where the Dolphins went out and once again added another blue player. Jalen Ramsey is a premier cornerback in the National Football League, if not the premier cornerback. I have Xavier Howard and Cater Kohu as plus starters, that green category, that very coveted green category. I've got Nick Needham as a quality starter, when he's not even a starter in terms of how that goes, if you stack it up that way based upon last year's production. And who knows, maybe Needham does earn a spot back in the starting lineup. He's that good and that capable Uh, But what quality depth? I keep thinking about how good of a fourth he can be for this defense. I think Trill Williams, uh, it's a scheme change. So I'm curious to see how that kind of changes the way he, uh, his perception is in this defense. But I know he's got skills. I saw all last training camp, excited about his return. I'm very pumped up about Bethel Johnson coming back. I've got both Trill and Bethel in the purple category. Bethel because of his special teams prowess. Trill because of the incomplete nature of his his evidence, his film. There's just not any, any of it. But for Bethel Johnson, like he also came off the bench last year in a pinch and played good cornerback too. Then I've got three guys uh, in that kind of red category, Noah Igbenogany, Keon Crossan, and Tino Ellis. But how about this room looking where it does right now compared to back in December when you get Needham back, you get Trill back, and you drop in probably the best cornerback in the National Football League. Just from those top three guys alone, the tackling at the position is so good, which again, the idea of playing too high requires the skill to be sharp. And I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah on a podcast earlier this week where he talked about how the days of Deion Sanders saying you pay me to cover, not tackle are long gone because teams will scheme up their running game to basically leave the corner that can't tackle unblocked and force that guy to be your forced defender and come up and make a play with Cater Kohu never have to worry about that with Xavier Howard. Don't have to worry about that. And Jalen Ramsey, you sure as hell don't have to worry about that. But Cater I think he can play anywhere. He was great in the slot last year. The way he can fit the run from that nickel position, it reminds me of Teron Johnson in Buffalo and what he affords that defense that never leaves its nickel package. Then there's the main part, the coverage skills. Think about your ability to match up against a given opponent. Last year, most weeks, we were lucky to have three healthy corners for a game. Now you can really pick and choose. We don't know how the roles will work out, but Jalen Ramsey and that potential star role is super intriguing for his ability to move around. Like I think back to the to Belichick with, you know, Revis days when it was like, 
hey, their best receiver is a tight end. Why don't we have Revis cover the tight end? Okay, like Ramsey can do that. I see him with, you know, that Gilmore or Darrell Revis type of uh, influence for the Patriots defense and how they would use that guy in their best player. I think Xavier Howard's ability to lock down one side of the field pairs perfectly with that. Like, hey, go cover the number two receiver. X can do that as good as anybody in the National Football League. And then Cater Kohu's sticky coverage inside on top of rolling help to those various positions. Like, good luck, man. I, I feel the same way right now that I felt about the offense last year, where it's like, I don't see the solution outside of injuries for the opposition to overcome this team. I think it's that good. This is where this team can really, really get after it, getting those three guys playing up to their skill level with this pass rush. Watch out, man. Then the depth is just so much improved. I can't think of a better fit for that fourth role than Nick Needham. Uh, he can play any position, and you can just basically have him wherever you need to come into a game. Like, hey, Jalen's down. Nick, get out there. Cater's down. Nick, get out there. Uh, Trill Williams, I think a lot of upside. We just haven't had a chance to see it yet. His injury was so early that he'll be 12 months removed from the injury come training camp. And then again, don't sleep on the Bethel Johnson re-signing, uh, special teams ace, but great in coverage last year. Then you've got Crossan and Igbo who played a lot of snaps last year and got some valuable experience and also have some special teams value there as well. So deep room one year after it was the opposite with the attrition, the way it wore it down. In the secondary or the final part of the secondary here, the defensive backfield, the safeties, Five of those guys as well. I've got a blue player in Javon Holland. I've got a green player, a plus starter in Brandon Jones. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, I have in the orange categories, a quality player. And then I've got purple on Elijah Campbell and Verone McKinley for the fact that they uh, haven't played a lot of defense and just are, are early in their careers and wet behind their ears and special teams primarily. Just getting Brandon Jones back alone is such a huge plus to the room because his ability to time up his runs and blitz both the run and the pass is something I think he does better than anybody else in the entire roster. That on top of his ability to play multiple roles and how you have to be interchangeable at safety with Javon Holland. Go back last year and watch the defense before Brandon Jones got hurt and after and the it changed completely. Uh, the way they communicate with each other is going to help in terms of how this defense can play faster and the way they prepare that is invaluable in this defense that we've heard described as a safeties defense. I thought last year Javon had to play so far back to help mitigate some of the injuries outside, but with X Ramsey and Cater, I think you could see him freed up to do more blitzing, to buzz the middle of the field, to spy the quarterback. He can do anything, and I think Vic Fangio and this defense and the personnel around him can unlock that. It's like the same thing we talked about Tua. Yeah, Tua, confidence helped Tua take his game to the next level. We saw the confidence at Alabama. Maybe it waned a little bit. It was back last year, and it helps him make those tight window throws and rip that thing time and time again. Even if you have a miss, go back to it, rip it, shoot or shoot, play with confidence. You'll get the best of yourself. I see the same thing with you know Javon Holland in terms of putting guys around him, putting Tyreek Hill around him, Jalen Ramsey around him. Like It's going to make his game even better. Deshaun Elliott fulfills those roles in a similar way. Also getting to know him a little bit here. He's got the mentality you want, and it matches with his play. A striker, explosive as hell, kind of a dog off the bench who comes in and gives you a different level of energy and spark. Elijah Campbell's a tremendous special teamer. I love his uh, addition to some deep sub packages, your half dollar and dime packages. And Verone McKinley got some experience last year as that true backup safety. He's kind of the only true backup safety on the roster. It's just crazy how much the depth has really improved here and everywhere across the football team. I've got Sanders and Bailey in the orange category for specialists and Blake Ferguson in the yellow category. I don't know much about the finer points of kicking, punting, and long snapping. We've now got 
the 2020 All-Pro team kicker and punter, first team. Both guys have plenty of distance with powerful legs. And I, I don't recall a botch snap last year, but there was lots of snaps in the ground that uh, Thomas Morse had had to scoop up like a shortstop. So hopefully that gets better this year. But there you go. We'll do it again at some point later in the summertime. But it's hard to not be excited about what they have right now on this roster. And that will do it for this episode. But I had to log back in to talk some golf. And I'll keep it to about a minute here. But... I wrapped up a round at Grand Palms in Pembroke Pines, and I wasn't aware of this. I'd only played there in the morning one time before. I played at a 4 o'clock tee time on Thursday night, and the course was almost empty. I got to play alone, didn't have to go with uh, partner up with anybody. I did pass through two groups of people, and of course you're going to say, this is what happens when you play by yourself, Travis. But I shot a PR, a personal best 82 at the Grand Palms, absolutely crushing the ball off the tee, uh, getting my hybrid going on the fairways as well, just getting lots of distance on those two clubs, absolutely dialed on the chipping. I watched this Bryson DeChambeau tutorial. I know, worst guy to watch. Everyone says that to me when I tell him that. But he taught me about closed face chipping. I instituted that and was putting the ball next to the cup all day long. Just felt really good. And man, a, a round that took about two and a half hours, and that was with taking several videos to share with a couple of my buddies at work and a couple of friends. Uh, I could have gotten that round in under two hours if I would have played a little bit more tempo, a little more speed. But having that rhythm to play off of, man, freaking awesome. And an 82 at Grand Palms. Your boy has the bug. PGA Tour coming next. All right, that's going to be my time here on the Drive Time Podcast. Going to go check out the Mariners game. Let's go Julio. Let's go M's. Uh, that'll be my time. Y'all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. We have a special crossover episode on Monday. We're going to talk about their episode coming out next week with Hall of Fame linebacker Zach Thomas. You don't want to miss that. Check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, media availabilities, and much, much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy. He's already home.